This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high profile data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures while bringing unique insights drawn from first hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Idosa Odara, who is the head of data at AIG. Idosa, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. So. Where we always start a doser, as you probably know, is um, getting our guests to give us a, a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey to date to this point, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Uh, my journey, it, in some ways, is <laughs> fairly straightforward because I've always been kind of data has been the, the, the thread, if you like, through my entire journey. I've been doing this for a little while now. It's scary to think, actually, it's over 20 years. Um, but, but in that time, I think, it's, it's been it's been very varied to be fair I've been across a number of industry sectors I've been most 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 would know if you've ever looked, looked me up you know insurance banking sort of the financial sector has been big but also been in the public sector the multi-lap you know and uh, I've, I've sort of touched on utilities and media I've been at sky you know Betfair so it's been quite a, quite a very interesting mixed bag. But, but I think the one thing I actually mentioned that I find quite interesting, I was just thinking about it the other day and someone was asking me, how did you even get into all this? Okay, great, you've always done data, but how did you even get into it? And, you know, it's, it can be quite deceptive when you look at my kind of background and think, oh, actually, I studied computer science, I studied masters in you know, technology and innovations and things like that. But the truth of the matter is, <laughs> it wasn't always the plan, actually. In fact, the, the, the plan, would you believe, was when I started out, was to be a pilot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I started out wanting to be a pilot until my, my, my parents actually break, break, it, break it out to me that uh, you know, my eyesight and my height didn't help. And, uh, <laughs> so I started always from the point of failure, failed to do my ambition, if you like, and, and sort of got into computers via some sort of role model my dad wasn't actually in computers. My family was no one even there. But uh, this professor of computer science, who was like a role model of mine, and he had been there. So, I, and that's how I got into that's how I got into computer science in the first place. So it's a, just a, an interesting sort of perspective, actually. Nice, nice. So recently, just joined AIG. Obviously, I mean, we have listeners from almost sixty countries around the world, and I'd have thought that AIG is a name known in most of those countries but for, for anybody that might not be too familiar with AIG just give us a very very brief overview about AIG as a business and, and what they do. Yeah sure I mean AIG yeah I think you know, we don't take anything for granted do we I mean it's one of one of the biggest insurance companies in, in the world it actually stands for American International Group uh, it's a it's a large organization I think it was made famous by 
you know, it was one of those almost became a casualty of the last sort of big financial crisis. So we're waiting for yet another one now, I suppose, to, to some degree. But it's a, it's a large, large organization. I think the core of the business has been, it's, been, it's moved around quite a lot, actually. More recently, it's sort of split itself into the sort of general insurance area and, and life, sort of life and sort of pensions business. So it's, it's a large organization. It's global. It's across, you know, countless countries. Yep, yep. And I guess obviously shot to fame when they um, sponsored Manchester United's football team and put the name on the front of their, <laughs> I, their shirt. I, I didn't want to talk about that as an <laughs> Arsenal supporter. <laughs> but, but, that, but thank you. Yes, you're absolutely <laughs> Well, let's um, yeah, let's let, let's not get into that. We could be here all day. Um, yes. so, so obviously, I guess in the world of data and analytics, and I'm involved in these conversations, and I imagine that you're involved in ten times more of them. I guess the word of value is kind of used that much now. It's almost become its own little buzzword, if you will. Um, you know, when we're talking about that from a commercial standpoint, you know increase in sales or profit, you know, reduction in cost, um, improved mm. efficiencies, mitigating risks, whatever the case may be, I guess always a good starting point given the topic of value creation and the role <laughs> that speed plays within that. What, what does value mean to you? Mm. It's such a good place to start actually, because it's, it's such a, I mean, it's, it's, it is a term that gets battered around, doesn't it? Everyone provides value, everyone's achieving value, everyone's 20x, 100x value. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, what, what is it? What is it? I think, I think the way I like to start, and I think, you know, when, when I think about it, just to take all of the buzz out of this word value is to think about what it really does mean. And, and, and the way I think about it is right down to the basics, really, you know, the different perspectives of value. Yeah, that's, that's where I like to start. So I think about it, first of all, who is value for? And, and for me, value is really for the consumer, the customer, if you like. And what's that, that kind of perspective of what value really means? And then the other perspective is kind of who's providing that value, who's providing it to customers, to consumers, and that's the organizational side. But, but even when you look at these two perspectives, in themselves, they, they may seem like, okay, well, there's no brainer to a certain degree, but within that, there's some nuances as well. So you look at the organizational side. And when I think about that, I kind of, you touched on it actually, Kyle, you know, there's kind of the commercial element to it. So, you know, pounds and pence profits, the bottom line, reducing costs and all that kind of thing. But that's very much, if you like, from an organizational side, the commercially minded, if you like, organization. So, you know, your Amazon's, your, you know, the supermarkets and the underlines. But, but there is a separate perspective which isn't often sort of thought about in terms of value. And that's the perspective of those organizations or, or institutions, if you like, that are not commercially motivated and minded in some ways. Yeah. And you think about organizations like, you know, the, the multi-lat, you know, the World Health Organization, you know, the, the, the big sort of organizations like that. But if you think also about charities or governments, even institutions around, around government public sector, they all also have a perspective of value, uh, which, is, which is completely separate then from that commercial kind of mindset. But going back to customer, the, the, the kind of perspective there, even within customer or, or consumers of that value as well, you can almost think about that again from two perspectives. And one of the ways I kind of think about it, just because it helps me in terms of that extreme 
differentiation is this idea of okay a lot of people think of value in terms of the experience and a lot of organizations you hear talking about customer experience it's all about you know, things like how quickly am i responding to you how are you feeling about the products you're receiving and things like that and, and that's that's a fair way to look at value and that's very much experiential you know it's all about you know the friction or not the, the interaction speed um but the other side of it i think which becomes even more so clearer now that perhaps not many people thought about this you know quite as much um beforehand but with the pandemic <laughs> you always see this like term the, the, the existential like very very much about what's essential what's that was about our existence as a, <laughs> as people always. and that kind of value i think is really a very important perspective to think about as well so it's almost like four separate things there i mean this existential piece is very much about things like you know your health you know your, your security and you know those kinds of things are really when it when push comes to shove you know what really does matter mm-hmm. and i think you know, and that's why perspective, to, to my mind, is really important. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think often these conversations are had with a very commercial focus, right? You know, we talk about value and really what that nine times out of 10 will mean is how much pounds or pence are we putting on the bottom line? And I think you raised a very good point there around the customer. You know, I think we're starting to get better at that, you know, being customer centric and putting the customer first. Um, and ultimately, if you do the right thing by the customer, that the pounds and pence should follow. But I still think we're quite a long way from that. So I think it's great that you've brought that up. Um, I guess in terms of how organizations set themselves up then to make sure that they are, you know, structured in a way that they can be successful in, you know, in adding value as it were, across those four pillars? What what do you kind of typically ad- advise? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there, there, there are a number of things there. I mean, you can very quickly get to this point of, you know, is it, you know, I've touched on some of it just now, haven't we? Is it is it really speed? Is it is it scale? What is it you're actually doing? Is it trust? Is it, but, but I think I think the one thing that I think is really, really important to start off with, as you can see from this, four different perspectives. It isn't just the one thing value. So I always like to say, even before you start to think about how you deliver that value, is to think about what value actually means. Ultimately, to try to resolve these four different perspectives, you've got to think a little bit at times away from the pounds and pens and think more about what's the broader to what end? What are we really trying to achieve? For instance, are we just trying to make people happier? Or I would just try to make people safer. I would try to make people trust us more. Yeah. So when you think about it from that viewpoint, then you've got this really slightly more complex sort of view on value. So when you think about it from that viewpoint, you start to then address, okay, I understand it to what end now. And so I know what things I need to be doing to deliver that on that value. Hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a starting point for me. It's really, really understanding it to what end. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, I find that fascinating because, you know, when you, when you kind of, you talk about that there kind of so eloquently, I guess, and it, it, it makes, it makes complete sense, right? That we as businesses or the businesses out there that are using data analytics should be thinking more than just how do we drive money back to our bottom line? I'm not too sure how many organizations are doing that actively or, or all that well, if I'm 
honest, but I guess in terms of the prioritization piece, right? Because ultimately our businesses are doing this to, to make money really, aren't they? You know, if, mm-hmm. if the process is by making their customers feel more safe or be happier, then, then great. But ultimately there is always a commercial nuance to why they're doing this in the first place, because, you know, otherwise it'd be charity or therapy, I guess. Wouldn't it? Um, you know, indeed. So, I guess in terms of getting the, the balance right and and prioritizing, if you if you will, across those four pillars, mm. how how does that happen? How do you, you know when you're in an organization, you you know, you're thinking about things like speed and scale and trust, and I guess that they're all slightly different things and probably need to be mm-hmm. tackled in slightly different ways. Therefore. Mm you know, how, how they get tackled and mm. to, to what end and what comes first and what's the most important. How, how does that piece get pulled together? It's a great question because, you know, I see if, if it was literally just a pounds and pence and it's really just organised by <laughs> in order of the highest, <laughs> the highest margin, right? Yeah. It, it unfortunately isn't um, always that, that straightforward. I mean, a simple example of that is how do you put, you know, value against some of this regulatory requirement against something that is a new product design or something to be delivered but but it, you know I, I think the key thing that I, I like to think about is, is impact so if you really think about the impact of either impact from a positive standpoint what's this going to bring from an impact standpoint or if you like the impact from the negative side what what we what do we stand to lose by not dealing with this right and I think that's the almost like the, the, the carrot sticks I mean call it the this sort of attack and defense and how do you rationalize all that but but, it, but a very tangible example actually when it comes to prioritization is it's really about okay you know when you look at this this value piece that sits in the middle and you bring all of these components of it together is how do you then take them almost as objective functions, if you like, into, if you like, a model <laughs> that, that actually helps you then decipher, you know, bits and pieces. Actually, if, if, you, if you want to, I could give you like a, a bit of a use case that, uh, that actually describes how sometimes, you know, a very narrow view can get us into trouble. <laughs> so, so, so actually, one example that really just comes to mind, just popped out in my, in my, in my mind just now is, is whilst actually at a, a previous company, so I was serving this client, big retailer, big retail client, and they were thinking very hard about obviously COVID at the moment and all the madness with retail, especially in the non-essential <laughs> space. So, so they're big sort of fashion retailer, and they were very, very concerned about cost reduction as, as with lots of others <clears throat> and one of the things they were thinking about was a big challenge for them was returns and we're looking at this return area they wanted us actually as an organization time to come in and help them create a, a sort of predictive sort of model to to identify those who are most likely to return a purchase before essentially before the purchase is made and while that was important to them, they wanted to be able to sort of intervene in that transaction. So if you imagine you know, a couple of pairs of shoes, you know, a couple of tops or whatever else in your basket, but we determine, given this model, that you are likely to return, say, a pair of shoes or whatever. Right? So we wanted to be able to intervene. And their idea of that was, okay, great. You know, if you can do this, which is quite a tricky thing to do for, for, for a lot, lots of organizations, that's their prediction. If you could do that, We'll be able to then go in and say, 
right, uh, Kyle, you know, it's you again, and you're going to you know, return this. So I'll just offer you this 10% discount, and it's a final sale, right? No, 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 no returns possible on this, this item. So, so that's the idea. So, you know, we'll challenge them back, and what we really want to do is understand, have you really, really understood your toward end here? If the idea is I want to predict and offer this 10% discount, have you worked out is that the thing that's going to meet your overall overarching objective? And what we found just by doing some a bit of a deep, deep dive was that if you did do that, given our predictive model which we're about to deliver, you could end up, <laughs> strangely, I believe this is an incredible situation, in a loss-making situation, because you, you know, that 10% discount could actually be in some instances, more expensive than the return costs you're trying to avoid. Right? As you aggregate that all up, we found that actually we could be worse off at the end of the sort of process. So all of a sudden, they, were, they started to think about actually, so what is it we're really trying to achieve? Right? If it's a cost reduction thing, then we need to look at each item and be very, very specific about what makes sense here. If it's about customer loyalty or just customer experience, then we need to think very hard about when someone's picking up a pair, pairs of shoes, do we need to help them? You know, we pick up 10 pairs of the same thing. Do we need to move it around and say, look, can we help you around sizing here? Or, you know, it's, it's a things like that. So we took all of these components, actually, and created a more sophisticated intervention model for them that actually helped deliver that. What is the best intervention as opposed to just a flat 10% discount? Hmm. Interesting. So I guess in that instance, then obviously they're looking, it sounds like that what they were thinking was going to be a way for them to reduce cost actually wasn't that and there needs to be, you know, so whilst they thinking they might be doing the right thing commercially, um, you know, and giving, giving away cash to, to their customers, I'm sure would keep their customers happy. You know, ultimately mm. longer term that has a potential detrimental effect on the business. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, indeed. But, but but even in thinking about the giving away cash, it's a good, a good point that you raised there is, you know, for some customers, you know, actually what you've done, you give me a bit of cash, but you've, I'm now stuck with a pair of shoes I don't like. Actually, what I really like to do is to be able to return it in a seamless sort of fashion. So you may even, in thinking about, you know, this, I'm just going to give this you know, £10 to everybody, you may actually end up in a worse off situation. So it's really important, actually, and you raise a good point, to seriously think and consider you know, what behavior are you trying to drive? What outcomes are you trying to get from actually doing a thing? And then work backwards to what are the things I need to leave as I need to pull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess this kind of ties quite nicely at this point, Ido, so into the kind of speed element, which you, you touched on briefly before, because I imagine that there's a, a huge emphasis on the time or the amount of time it takes you to kind of start to understand this stuff, right. And the impact or the impact that the, you know, of the potential value that comes out of the other side of these types of exercises, um, which fascinates me. So talk to us a bit more about that. <laughs> yeah, you, you touched on a really, really, really important element there. I mean, speed, when you really think about value, when you think about value and, and regardless almost in some ways of how you, the, the sort of perspective, a lot of what comes out of it, it really is underpinned by speed, right? And you can think about it from a lot of perspectives. So, so when you think about it from a customer's perspective, you know, you and I want to just know that when we ring up 
whether that we're ringing up our service provider, ringing up our mobile phone company, or you know, our, especially these days, <laughs> you know, ringing up a TV provider, or your satellite provider. You know, you want to just get someone at the other end of the phone and just you know, get get things done. Or, or think about it actually from perhaps those points where we feel most vulnerable. Right? You know, think about you know, in an accident, you want your insurance company really, if possible, to literally know you just had an accident and just sort it out, <laughs> as opposed to you picking up the phone and being on there for, for ages trying to get, you know, get, get through all the number, number but the buttons you have to press, etc. But, but the other side of it, actually from a customer's viewpoint as well, so that interaction piece, and it's fulfillment as well. You look at what's happened with Amazon, that's one of the biggest things, isn't it? It's really about, you know, they've just found a way to, remove all of those frictions if you like in terms of, of fulfillment and that's created a biggest organization on the planet so, so, so there's this kind of interplay there with interaction and, and fulfillment fulfillment is very very big for customers but when you look at it from the organization standpoint yes of course you know it's, it's important from an organization standpoint and they want to deliver all of these things to customers but there are some specific things that are really important from an organization standpoint as well, especially when it comes to data and analytics, is really about the way you're going to get to that value very quickly is to ensure, first of all, that information is flowing at the right sort of speed. So the point from, you know, even within an organization, and this by surprise, you might say this, right? But yeah, you, you talk to quite a lot of people, so you might, you might already know this, but the, the, the time it takes, the distance between, you know, you've been informed as an organization more broadly about something, and that information actually flowing through its many layers to everyone who's relevant in understanding that can be ridiculously long. Right? I have some really interesting examples about that. But you know, but the other side of it as well is I think where a lot of focus actually is is around speed of change. You know, think about how quickly you get to market with a new idea, either that being a new idea or just catching up with your competitors. Really, you know, and, and speed of change, especially within data is ridiculously slow actually to be fair right? and then so that, and that, so that's kind of like you know from, from perspective you know the, the kind of idea of speed and all of these things the, the, the you know you can almost think of information actually and going back to flow as something that can actually get to sell by and actually the longer it takes the lower the value you're going to get from that information and it's you know, the, the, the slower it is to make that change and to get to market potentially less value you're going to get, you know, because if someone's gotten there before you or your competitors are further ahead, you know, so it's, it's, it's so, so essential. Mm. Why, and this is just me thinking out loud, which, you know, we're in dangerous territory here, by the way, but um, <laughs> why does this happen? And you're right, I have these conversations all the time and, you know, and, and again, I feel like I say it pretty much in every episode I've done now for the last few months, but this whole cultural shift in the way that businesses operate around and within data analytics, you know, to, to kind of get things done. And ultimately the appetite of the business and and how that works internally will ultimately have a knock on effect on how quick they can get products to market or better those products so that their customers can have a better experience, you know, so all these facets kind of tie together but I guess just from from your experience, mm. Dosa, 
why are we in this situation where it seemingly <laughs> takes you know forever and a day for to, to get to get things done and for this kind of change to occur and 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 you know the, the the speed of that it just seems like the speed of getting anything done that's really going to be impactful and add a lot of value can take forever and obviously we talk about you know go and attack the small wins prove the value prove it works prove it's there and I get all of that, but it seems like if we want to make any real fundamental change across any business in any sector, it's just it's just really slow. And and obviously, mm. you know, it kind of baffles me. I appreciate a lot of these businesses are very very big, right? And it's mm. not as easy mm. as it's a lot easier to say than do, of course. But but no. why are we in this situation, as far as you're concerned? <laughs> it's it's such a good question because I think yeah. <laughs> I was speaking to someone the other day and they, and they think it's, it's it, 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 a million dollar question. Perhaps I think it's a trillion dollar question because you know, <laughs> those who are cracking it are, are, are literally milking the trillions. And I think, I think the thing about it is that, and you touched on something really important there actually, you know, some organizations obviously as you increase in size, you know, it becomes more difficult. But guess what? Some of the organizations really milking it today are actually not as small as you think. You know, you think of the likes of Google, they're not really that small. And you know, they are finding ways around this. And, and even within some of the organizations that we think are a bit more traditional, they're making some, some of them are making inroads actually and trying to resolve this channel. But I think I think I like to go back in some ways to <laughs> it, it, it's it's incredible to think about it. A lot of times when organizations come together, think of the fundamentals of us coming together as an organization is really to address some of the challenges we're talking about right now, to make things easier, to make them faster, to make it cheaper. You know, from it, I've got, I've got a common sort of, sort of hat on as well. You know, so you think about, you know, the reason why firms are put in place in the first place is to, is, is to reduce transaction costs, basically, right? It's to say, like, I want to really reduce the space and the distance between a supplier and a consumer, bring all the things in together, create a core, and then I can deliver that service. But, but in the end, what you're finding and what you're just talking about right now is we're getting the opposite effect of that. And part of the reason for that is kind of, I suppose in some ways, it's it, it's almost bound to happen, you know, by just by, by the fact of, of scale. Um, you know, you start to create... You know, subsets, you know, when you start as an organization, you're around a table, you start up, you'll have that conversation. There's no distance, even physically, of course, we're in COVID times, so I expect you to respect the, the social distancing. But, uh, but, but you're around a table and you have this conversation. As soon as something comes up, you're talking about it, you're actioning, you're doing it right there. And then, but as you start to grow bigger, even within the same building, you start to have little pockets of people, some people specialize in certain things they start to create their own systems, their own data, and all of these things, in some ways, is the, the buzzword, if you like, for, for that is silos, and this is something that's come up over the last of 20, 30 years or so, uh, this whole idea that you know, silos get created, but they, they naturally happen. I think, you know, those things, these structures, whether they be people structures or system structures or data structures, create friction, they create distance between things. And I think that's why it's happening. That's why it's happening. It's really about those things. And, 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 when, and when you look at, because you create that distance, the way these things interact then becomes quite, quite rigid. And so, you know, not only do you have problems in terms of the flow between them, 
and interaction between them. You also have problems around trying to change them. As soon as you try to change them, it <laughs> literally breaks the system. Because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's why, you know, when you start off, a lot of times, you see a lot of people at the moment, of course, doing cloud transformations and going out, you know, everything seems very quick. But those who have started to mature in the cloud are finding they're not too far different if you don't change the way you do things from where they actually started from on-prem, right? They become big, they become complex, they become quite brittle, rigid, <laughs> difficult to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you made a, a really interesting point there. And I guess, you know, as a data leader, right, if you're sat in a conversation with the executives of a business, you know, I imagine that when you're talking about things that, you know, aren't necessarily always directly relatable to pounds and pens commercial. This is, if we do this, we can get X. And obviously there's the whole debate around how easy or difficult that is and how you calculate them costs, where them costs start and and finish and, and so on and so forth. But I mean, it just seems to me, you know, if you were to have a conversation with the CEO of AIG and say, look, if we did this project, you know, we could make the business 10 million pounds, but, this is what we need to do and that's going to require some kind of cultural shift and change change the way we fundamentally do things mm. it'd almost seem you know a bit of a no-brainer that they go well yeah i'm up for that of course i am but you know yes. the reality is so much different right mm. and, and i guess mm. i don't know do you feel that maybe because to get started on these cultural transformations if we were going to call them that there's a big cost associated with getting that right often, right? Does that play a part in, in this? Um, yes and no. Yes and no. Do you know why I say that? Because the, the costs, certainly when you think about costs, it certainly isn't always in terms of pounds and pence. Sometimes cost is hmm. kind of the the cost of resistance almost to change, right? And and, uh, and and there's some very, very good reasons for that, actually, in some ways, because, you know, if people get used to doing things in a certain way. But also, when you think about what we're trying to achieve here, what we're really trying to achieve, if, if we, again, come back to the sense of speed in the most broadest sort of sense of what that actually encompasses, then, you know, if that's what we're really trying to achieve, we're really trying to, you know, make things quicker, easier, you know, and, and, and such like. Then the how you do it becomes really important. How you actually think about going about this whole process, right? And I, I was thinking about it quite, quite simplistically from this two gen, general sort of approaches, if you like. One where people want to chuck more at it, at the problem, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying people don't spend money on a problem, but, you know, that focus on, you know what, we've got this problem, it's going to throw another, you know, X number of heads at it and it will just fix it, right? So this idea of more, more people, more technology, more cash, doesn't always solve it, right? And, and, and you know, certainly doesn't always solve the resistance challenge, that's for sure. But this other idea of, if you like, on the other side of, 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 the, of the sort of spectrum, if you like, is actually doing less. <laughs> and this might sound a bit strange, but, but if you think about speed, um, the thing you're trying to do is to take out things, like take out the, the, the frictious things. You're, you, you, know, you, you can do speed by pushing harder, but you could also do it by just shaving off the edges. And, and that actually then allows that 
you know, to roll down a hill, right? I think, you know, sometimes it's really about taking things out, reversing things and doing less and, and taking out some of those things in the, in, in, in the silos that are causing problems, taking out those impediments. And, and I think we don't focus enough on the, this other end of the spectrum, the, the, the doing less <laughs> or, or, or the taking out or the reverse inside of things. And I, I think, and I think that's, that's really, that's really uh, an area organizations could do more. Mm, yeah. So it's, I guess it sounds like, you know, the nemesis, if you will, <laughs> to, <laughs> to speed within an organization, you know, in, in the context of obviously data and analytics and doing things with data analytics to, to drive value for the business is, you know, is ultimately res- resistance becomes that nemesis, right? Mm. To, to it seemingly. A part that fascinates me, and obviously the whole emergence of AI, and I know you're, you're you know you're big in in that space. Obviously, a large portion of that is built towards automation, right? Which ultimately should make things faster, <laughs> right? Um, so, I guess how how does that association work in reality? If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's, it's a fascinating question, actually. I think I think. Uh, how it works in reality is, I mean, I, I don't want to surprise you too much to hear not very well. <laughs> and, and, the re- and the reason for that is, is really, is really that if you were to take a step back and create an organization with no people in it, right? if that was at all possible and you just had this, you know, almost robots creating their own company and whatever else, right? There, there's no human interaction. There's no emotional attachment. There's no cultural you know, it's very mechanical, right? Then automation is perfect, right? It works really well. But the thing about it is you've got to work, you know, look for almost automation as a way to augment people, right? And if you're looking at, you know, automation as that sort of vehicle of, of, of augmentation, then you've, you've got to look at the cultural aspects. You've got to look at the people aspects. You've got to look about, uh, and one of the things actually that I find fascinating in, in talking transformation is it, it, it might surprise you to know how many times in my over 20 organizations I've had experience in actually uh, working, working in that you have transformation going on and be very focused on technology, right? And very, very little around how do people transform with technology, uh, you know, and even where there is some sense of that, which is fairly rare to me, to, to be honest, there are some organizations, to be fair, that, that do do that. Um, the, the challenge is when there's resistance, and I think we've touched on this already, right? when there's that resistance, when there's frictions, you know, we don't, we very, very, very rarely understand them, right? A lot of times what typically happens is either a technologist or an AI data person, you know, analytics person comes in, and we're talking about all of the fantastic benefits. You know, you can do this, you can predict that, you can, you know, you get all this automation, you can, you know, make your, your job easier, all these fascinating things about the benefits. What we fail, I have to, I have to say, uh, most, most frequently to do is to look at the, the concerns, the fears, the other, the other things on the other side, what's causing that resistance. It's certainly not the excitement that's causing it. I mean, who wouldn't want an easier job, right? It's really about what are the things that are actually causing fear? What are the things that are causing resistance? What are the things that are causing people to be concerned, right, about what's actually going on here? And we don't spend enough time 
thinking about that, talking about that, trying to address that. Mm, yeah. Um, I recorded a podcast last week and uh, the guest mentioned that, you know, typically research shows that technological change is kind of 10 times faster than cultural change. And I guess we're, we're starting to, to kind of feel that, I guess now, right where we're getting all this advancement in technology and, you know, all these tools with the bells and whistles and look what it can do. And it's going to revolutionize the way we do things. And ultimately, you know, it's still the, the people and processes part that is kind of stopping us from moving at a pace, you know, um, to allow us to be better at, at this type of, um, of stuff, I guess, as we start to try and round this off then Ado, so, you know, the whole concept of, of speed, I, I completely understand that, I guess, from a use case perspective, when we're talking about other things other than maybe the commercialities behind, you know, how speed can benefit a business. Um, are there any kind of notable use cases that, you know, stick out in your mind where that's, that's created, you know, it's been positive outcome for, for the business? Yeah, I think, I think you know, we, we talked very broadly about speed and we also actually, we started off really focusing on this kind of no-nonsense view on what, what value really does mean. I think one, one of a really good example I, I, I have of, of when you bring these two things together and what you can actually actually do, it's it, it perhaps coming away from the commercial side just, just for, for, for a minute and looking at my experience actually in the multi-lab world and I remember uh, very clearly, you know, you know, the, the the I suppose the, the stakes are quite high when you're in public sector, when you're in the multi-lat world. When you make a commitment, it's the expected to deliver to that commitment. We've seen it in, in COVID. We've seen what's happening with the vaccine rollout in, in Europe. In this case, it was actually about a commitment that was made by this multi-lat on chemical safety globally and, and you know it's focused around the EU but it's actually delivering to the global you know um, sort of world if you like and TV first you know we, you know, cut long story short we failed in that commitment and and part of the reason for that was really a what seemed an unhealthy attachment should I say to the way things had, all, had always been done right so it was in technology it was this data piece uh, the way we're looking to do things was uh, you've got to be done in this sort of, you know, the way things are architected, the way things are designed, the way things are, you know, sort of, you know, sort of uh, engineered, et cetera. Right? And I was concerned about that. Right? I was really concerned about that. But, you know, you know when you've got a whole machine, <laughs> which is built out in a specific kind of way, um, I think I was a bit late in the game to, 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 to stop, stop that from crashing, you might say. But as soon as that happened, I think what was very pleasing was suddenly there was an opportunity to really listen, to listen, to listen to each other. And we sat right around the table and we talked about, like, you know, what can we peel away from all of these things we've done, right? This yeah, uh, complexity we've created. And in the end, you know, going back to first principles on this, what is it we're actually trying to do here? Ended up actually helping us rather than create this monster of you know waterfall project with you know this kind of way of designing pipelines etc we ended up creating what was a very agile focused on the regulatory outcomes we're trying to achieve you know, split out into very tangible transparent <laughs> you know sort of processes 
that meant that actually we got to a point where we moved the test cycle from six weeks to less than six hours. Yeah. So rather than, here you go, this thing's ready to be published to the world about chemical safety. And, you know, you have analysts and experts and wherever else having to look at this thing for six weeks to get a level of confidence that we can actually do this. We move that literally, Kyle, <laughs> to less than six hours. Hmm. So I think, you know, by we having that focus, not only have, as you know, already get, get a sense of here, have we injected speed into all of this, <laughs> we've also injected confidence into it, but we also focused the mind, the way we got there was refocusing the mind on ultimately to what end and peeling away from those things that were just done for the sake of that's the way things have always been done and focusing on what are the things that are actually going to deliver on this objective hmm. fascinating yeah there's so much so much insightful stuff in there so i guess as we start to tie all this back together then idosa obviously if there are organizations other data leaders executives whatever kind of out there listening to this and we're thinking about value creation and the role that speed plays on that if you were to, I guess, to surmise your few kind of pieces of advice as what they need to be thinking about, what would they be? Yeah, first things is really focusing, really, really focusing on value. Uh, but when I say value, I'm thinking value more, much more broadly, right? Um, I, think, I think that's the first thing to think about. But when it comes to actually trying to solve for that value, I would highly, highly recommend taking that step back. It, it might seem almost a, you need to be slow to be fast, but taking that step back to really go back to first principles and really understanding what is it that's really required to get this value delivered. And I think that's really, really important. And, and one, one thing I'd like to add actually, which we hadn't touched on through this, this, this chat, is to really... And I've had quite a lot of experience of this, actually. Did we think that value isn't always, it doesn't always have to be, you know, is there a song game, right? You, you, you're not always in that space where actually to do this means I need to spend more. And I had such interesting sort of situations where that really proved that. You know, one of the key things actually where I found this, this to, to be the case is the way a lot of organizations are now interacting with third parties, rather than this idea that it's a fixed fee, you know, there you go, you know, give that fee and I deliver the service, regardless of the outcome of that, you know, a lot of times that outcome might be that that thing fails. There's a lot now really thinking about how can we be cooperative, how can we put skin in the game, actually create more, more kind of a, in a shared sort of value and shared sort of purpose, right? So, so, so I'd say three key things. I'd say focus on the value in the broadest sense of what, you know, the two or 10. I would then say absolutely go back to first principles. So what specifically do I need to be able to do this regardless of the, the kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> we've always done things. And the third thing I'd say is, you know, just consider that value isn't always as your sum game. Yep. It always fascinates me when we talk, we talk about this stuff. And as I mentioned earlier, it always seems like, you know, there's, there's still this big cultural facet to all of this, that once we start to 
kind of uh, embrace that we're going to have to change the way we do things for you know to better ourselves and our businesses and our customers and so on and so forth i think we'll be in a lot better position but obviously chats like this certainly help us to to kind of steer us to that point right so um look if if there are people out there that uh are interested in kind of what we've discussed today and um you know wanted to reach out i've got questions want advice or whatever the case may be i guess firstly are you open for for that to happen and if so what's the best way to to kind of reach you yeah i'm always i'm always open uh, you know uh, you know from my standpoint you know so much for me to learn and uh, you know always open to interact and obviously to share what i i have as well i've been quite fortunate in having in quite quite a breadth of of background, yeah, I, I'll say the easiest way really is is, is via LinkedIn. I'd say and quite you know able to respond. And uh, yeah, I'll, you know, like I say, I think it's a two way street. I'm always very very happy to to share, but also uh, it's, it's a real opportunity to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Adosa, thank you very much for um, taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a fascinating conversation and um, we'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. Indeed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. Speak soon. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.